it didn't cut us down, I guess we're just going to go. <laughs> All right. Hello, and welcome to the Hearth and Hedge podcast. My name is Amberly, and I'm so pleased to have you join me today. Today's guest is an author, freelance writer, musician of several instruments, an artist, and lecturer. He's been a practicing pagan since the 1990s, uh, the 1900s, as my children would say, because they're jerks. Um, (laughs) And most recently, and why we are chatting today, he has completed a book that will be coming out this March. Please welcome author of Crows and Ravens, Mystery, Myth, and Magic of Sacred Corvids, Rick DeAmpert. Welcome, Rick. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Amberly. Thank you so much for uh, agreeing to uh, chat and converse today. It, Absolutely. It's a good day. The The crows have been by here, my home in Palm Coast, Florida. Uh, they come by every day, four, five, six, or seven of them. Uh, so they usually come by three or four times. They say jump. I say how high. I take crackers <laughs> and tortillas out to them. So, uh, so it's a good day here. Thank That's you for awesome. having me. For sure. You know, I, would, I will tell you right now, my husband would be so jealous. He has been trying for years to get the crows to come. We have like we have a special crow platform with all of their favorite stuff. They just don't want to come hang out with us. <laughs> there, I, I, I cover that somewhat in my book. Uh, there may be a very good reason Um Crows, uh, and actually one of my editors at Llewellyn, Heather Green, who lives in Atlanta, she she has said the same thing. And if they, and I discuss this in the book, uh, crows remember. They will remember humans who have favored them. They will remember humans who have been aggressive towards them. And not only that, they can communicate this to other crows that weren't involved in whatever. So it could be that there, and from my readings, it could be that the place, the very place that something Mm -hmm. happened there that had nothing to do with you or your husband and that spooked the crows and they remember that and they have communicated to their local tribe, don't go here, this is where something weird, aggressive or strange could happen. Could be, so that, could be it, but I'd say keep on trying. Oh, oh, he will. He won't stop. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting to me that they also have uh, generational memory. Yes. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, I, I think like a lot of people, uh, when I first started uh, getting into crows and exploring them, and I mentioned crows because here in Florida, uh, ravens are not found in Florida. Right. Crows are much more ubiquitous. So I, I keep saying crows because that's my uh, experience. But initially, you know, everybody knows what sound does a crow make? Ka, ka. Mm-hmm. But their vocabulary is huge. Yeah. Uh, very expressive creatures. At times, I've mistaken them for uh, doves. They have a, a light cooing sound. One time I thought I was hearing an owl turned out to be a crow. They have what I call the kitty cat sound. And and I I cover crow vocabulary in the books. uh, And that's one of the the striking things. uh, If you're going to engage in crow magic is to learn their language. And super interesting. Yeah. And you become familiar with it. And then you can 
start to maybe see, oh, they make this sound or this noise under certain circumstances. And this one, they seem to be talking to others. And so if you're around them a while, you'll begin to understand, oh, I never hear the what I call the kitty cat sound. I never hear that when they're flying. It's only when they're approaching trees, da-da-da-da. So, uh, so that's another aspect of how you can forge communion with crows. So it's very interesting. That's very interesting. So before we get too far into this subject, because I know yes. we're going to do a lot of chatting yeah. about it, I'd love for you to, uh, introduce yourself. Um, obviously you said sure. you're from Florida. Tell us a little bit about, about, about Rick. Well, I, I grew up in uh, northern New Mexico in Los Alamos. So if okay. you've seen the, if I, I, uh, my family lived in a mobile home, literally three miles from what they call the lab, mm-hmm. where Robert Oppenheimer and other scientists developed the atomic bomb during World War II. I haven't seen mm-hmm. the movie Oppenheimer yet, uh, but it's on my list. I should have seen it by now. But anyway, I grew up there. Very magical place. Uh Los Alamos is so strange. Uh, there's this atomic technology. And then three miles down the mountain from my home is a place called Bandelier, where the ancient Pueblo people lived. And there's cliff dwellings, uh, petroglyphs, Coco Pelli, the humpback flute player. So I grew up there. Family ties always in southern Arkansas. Uh, so I always returned there. Group high school years in Southeast Alabama, wanted to become a writer, journalist. So that's what I studied at the University of Alabama, journalism. Worked uh, 30 plus years at daily newspapers, mostly in Daytona Beach as an arts and entertainment writer. Uh, detoured through Nashville where I was the rock and hip hop writer for uh, three years. And since 2015, I've been a freelance writer. I live in Palm Coast, Florida, just north of Daytona. I write for various websites. I write, uh, wrote the Crow book. And, uh, and also my girlfriend, Michelle Davidson, and I, we are a duo. I play sitar and Native American flutes. She plays bass, uh, crystal singing bowls, and tongue drums. So we are the duo Wandering Spiral. So uh, if you're around the area, come check out one of our gigs. Shameless awesome. self-promotion. No, absolutely. That's, that's why we're here. <laughs> no shame in it at all. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I got really excited when you said New Mexico because I'm born and raised from New Mexico. Oh, what um, area? So I was born outside of Albuquerque in Cedarcrest. Okay. Um, went to nice. elementary school there and in Santa Fe. And then moved to Carlsbad for high school and went to college oh. in Farmington. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, a my lot of fa- New Mexico there. My family moved out there uh, because my older brother uh, had asthma. And the doctor mm-hmm. said, you go to the drier climate, it'll be good mm-hmm. for him. So I family moved uh, out there when I was very young in the 1960s. Uh, and uh, it did help his asthma and we spent a year in Albuquerque, then went up to Los Alamos, which is north of Santa Fe. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, I, I want to get some, some of that mountain energy. I haven't been there since 2016. So uh, looking to go back soon. With uh, My girlfriend, Michelle, grew up in Utah. So we both okay. got 
that Rocky Mountain vibe yeah. uh, in us, definitely. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, we, we live in Virginia now, but uh, New Mexico will always have my heart. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. All right. Well, now here's my, one of my favorite questions. What are you drinking today? My f- Well, my three favorite drinks, uh, Diet Dr. Pepper, Publix Diet Ginger Ale, and uh, I go to Dollar Tree and get this Old Orchard Cranberry drink. So if I have that from now to the end of time, uh, I'm good. And water. But uh, probably Diet Dr. Pepper. Uh, I'm a pepperholic. So. <laughs> That's awesome. That's funny. Uh, and are you reading anything exciting? Here's uh, my library, I, I have, well, I moved three years ago, so I still don't have, I still have 40 boxes of books. Uh, and I downsize, so I still have a lot of my library packed up, but 95% of it is nonfiction. And I'm, and I'm really, a, maybe I'm a weird reader, but I will just pick up a nonfiction book and I don't read it from front to back. I just pick it up and literally open it. Mm-hmm. So currently uh, I'm reading uh, Neurolithica, N-E-U-R-O-Lithica. It's by Alan Richardson. He's a British uh, mystic author, pagan, occult writer. And it's about his experiences with the spiritual uh, metaphysical aspects of the standing stones in Britain. I'm reading a book by Robert Moss. Um, In fact, I just I'll read the title, The Dreamer's Book of the Dead. I've had these books have been out a little while. Uh, And I'm fascinated by Robert Moss. He he leads uh, dream seminars, shamanic workshops. Uh, You can find them all over Amazon. But in The Dreamer's Book of the Dead, he writes about his experiencing experiences channeling one of my favorite writers, the Irish poet, William Butler Yeats. So that was kind of like, whoa, here's one of my favorite metaphysical authors channeling the spirit of Yeats and wow. the dream time. And Yeats was a very mystical uh, occult. He belonged to the Order of the Golden Dawn at the turn of the 1890s into the early 19th century. So that book is very fascinating. I'm reading 150 Glimpses of the Beatles. I'm a big Beatles fan. Uh, There's another book, DMT Dialogues, uh, DMT, The Spirit Molecule. Uh, So any of these books, I will just go and pick them up and open and start reading them. And if I need some more context, I'll flip back a few pages. and if there's something I don't understand, then I'll go to the chapter heading. Uh, but those books I just mentioned, that's on my current stack <laughs> to read. And I'm adding to it all the time. I'm a book junkie. Me definitely. too. <laughs> this is like my dream job. Even I don't get paid to do this at all. This is I do it for free because I love it so much. Um, but I, I get free books out of it, so it's awesome. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yeah. Um, my dogs. It never fails. As soon as I start recording, they need something. So yeah, if you need just, to. My husband just took her, went to take her out, but it just cracks me up. They they're quiet all day. Until but I'm they're on. they're uh, they're star. They 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 want their uh, 
15 minutes in the spotlight. Go for them. Go for it, doggies. Yeah. That's right. They're like, Mom, pay attention to us. <laughs> um, so do you have a favorite metaphysical or occult book? Uh, favorite? Uh, well, my probably my favorite writer is the one I mentioned, Alan Richardson. In the early 1990s, he wrote a book called Earth God Rising. And that was back in my pagan curious days. And that book was very instrumental about uh, getting me onto my pagan path. That and Green Egg Magazine. Uh, I would see that at the local bookstores in the Daytona Beach area. And Earth God Rising is about uh, Richardson. Uh, Alan Richardson recounts his experiences uh, with uh, encountering Kernunos, the antler god of the ancient Celts. And he also ties it into ancient, the ancient Egyptian gods. Uh, probably it really connected me when near the end of the book, he says he was at a Rolling Stones concert, uh, I think in London, and he had a vision of Kernunos. And so uh, here I was, my career as a journalist is writing about entertainment and especially pop and rock music. And here's... Uh, this occult uh, metaphysical writer talking about the intersection of those two and it's like, whoa, okay. And, uh, and Alan Richardson did something very interesting a few years back. He wrote a, he updated that book in a strange but fascinating way. He wrote another book called Earth God Risen. And he kept the text of the original book, but in this new version, uh, every three or five pages, he would comment or update or reflect on what he had written uh, 25, 30 years earlier. Wow, that's change. Yeah, I, I love that, uh, that he did that. And, uh, and in some places he said, oh, I hear I was very naive, I was very arrogant, and then other places... Mm-hmm. Uh, he expounds upon his earlier ideas. So, yeah, he's my favorite, favorite metaphysical writer. Definitely. Very cool. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. I love I love things like that introspection on on how you used to be. And Yes. You know. <laughs> yes. Sometimes yes. I don't want to introspect on how I used to be, but, you know, <laughs> it can okay. be. Yeah, it can be very. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I'm going to go off script a little bit. So sure. You said that in the 90s, you you kind of became pagan curious. Were you religious at all before that or spiritual in any way? Or did it just... I, I consider it a blessing. Uh, and, and I give talks at UU churches around the Daytona area. So uh, I and I have friends. I have Christian friends. Uh, of Most of them are progressive Christian friends. Uh, I have Buddhist friends, da-da-da-da. But I feel blessed that I did not grow up in an overly religious household. My parents were very casual, uh, but yet they uh, bequeathed morality onto me and my two brothers. You know, we knew not to be kind to people, da-da-da-da. Every now and then, uh, my mom would say, uh, use the G word, God, but uh, they didn't make us go to church. Mm-hmm. And so in my teen years, um, 
Well, what happened with me was I was at a library. I saw a friend. Uh, this is in Dothan, Alabama, where I went to high school. And she was down one aisle. And I just saw, oh, hey, Julie. I went and talked with her. And then we talked and she left. And we were in uh, the metaphysical section of this uh municipal library in the Bible belt. And I looked up and there was a book and I opened it and there was the Gundestrop cauldron image of Cornunos. And I was like, what the heck is this? Why is this, this uh, on this cauldron that they found in a bog in Denmark, there's this figure sitting in a Buddha like pose and he has antlers coming out of his head. I'm like, who created this? What's going on? Why? So that was in the late 80s. That started on my pagan pagan path. Uh, but it was a very evolution, not a revolution. And so um, coming across Green Egg magazine in a bookstore, it's like, oh, there's others like me that are, you know, wondering what this. Uh, and I always felt a connection to nature growing up in Los Alamos. Uh, walking where the uh, the ancient Pueblo Indians literally there's trails cut into the the cliffs there, and so all of that uh, combined and again evolution not a revolution uh, in the early 90s and back then you know there was no there was no internet uh, right. there was no witches up TikTok uh, so <laughs> yeah. So, of course, it was very uh, coming across these uh, fellow believers or the local metaphysical shop. It was like, wow, there's a metaphysical shop within 10 miles of my house in Daytona. What's up with that? Should I go in there? It's a little scary, but Mm -hmm. I think there are my people. So I don't know. Did I answer your question there? You did. Great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I just thought I I love I like to find out the uh, the origin stories, you know. <laughs> well, that that's me when I when I was writing for the Wild Hunt, and that was I was blessed to be able to do that. Uh, but that was one of my favorite because I was covering mostly arts and entertainment uh, from mm-hmm. pagan creators, and that was one of my favorite questions to ask. How did you get on your pagan Wiccan witch mm-hmm. uh, path? And yeah. it's it's always enlightening to me and, and fascinating. So, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Um, all right. We're going to switch it up from the metaphysical to the mundane. Do yes. Do you have a favorite mundane author? I read a lot of uh, probably two. Alan Watts, a British-born uh, mystic, uh, who was for a time a Christian minister, but he became enmeshed in uh, Asia, the Asian religions, Buddhism, uh, Hinduism to a lesser extent, extent Zen. Uh, I think I've read everything that uh, he died in 71, 72. Uh, so I really love the way he conveys, he distills uh, Eastern wisdom, but in a very adding his own insights in a very conversational manner. Uh, so I highly recommend Alan Watts. Uh, his book, uh, this is the title, uh, the book on the taboo against knowing who you are. I, I may have messed up the title there, but that's really his take on 
Hindu Vedanta. I stayed away from that book for so long because I thought, oh, this is some kind of hippy, flippy, dippy self-help book. <laughs> and then when I started reading it, it's like, oh, he's talking about the ancient Hindu concepts of, uh, uh, you know, I, thou art God, thou art that, uh, mm-hmm. and very worthy book. So Alan Watts, and then also I'm a big fan of Albert Camus, C-A-M-U-S. It's a trick name. It looks like Camus, but it's pronounced Camus, the French uh, existentialist writer. Very big influence. I love his essays. Uh, he wrote uh, The Stranger, The Plague. Those are his well-known uh, fiction books. Uh, but I especially recommend his lyrical um I think the title of the book is Lyrical Essays. Uh, so he's been a very big influence. So Albert Camus and Alan Watts uh, are my big, and I return to their writings weekly, weekly, in some whatever form they are. So, so I have a question about another mundane author. Sure. As I was reading your um your biography, I saw that you had the pleasure of um, interviewing Kurt Vonnegut Jr. Oh, how, how could that? I leave out? How could I leave out <laughs> Uncle Kurt? Yeah, another big. Uh, I was working in Dothan, Alabama, and he gave a lecture at Florida State University, which is 100 miles away. And I convinced uh, my editors at the paper, I say, oh, I want to go cover this and write about it. And they said, okay. And anyway, I was blessed when I got there that he gave a press conference just for the press. Uh, Anyway, so there were only like four or five of us there. This was before he went into the FSU lecture hall. And oh, he's he's my hero. He's one of my heroes, definitely. And that's that's probably the career highlight of my journalism career. There were other. Uh, of my fellow journalists asking questions, but I got to ask questions. Yeah. Uh, just wonderful. And then in the 90s, uh, when I was working at the Daytona paper, uh, I reviewed uh, his book uh, of essays, Fates Worse Than Death. Uh, and I just thought, eh, for the hell of it, I'm going to send my review to him in care of his publisher. And I just wrote a short letter. Oh, you know, you are God to me. I didn't say that. But anyway, about six months later, I go to my P.O. box and there's a letter. I was like, what's this? And he had written me back. Oh, and, that's wonderful. Yeah. And and I, uh, I am totally believe it was legit because he drew his self-portrait uh, doodle and mm-hmm. just... Uh, a, a sh- couple of short paragraphs. He said, thank you for the kind review. I feel like Blanche Dubois in uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Uh, no, Streetcar Named Desire. I, I depend on the kindness of strangers. Uh, and then he signed it, your colleague. And I'm like, what? Kurt Vonnegut just called me his colleague? And, and anyway, so a very wonderful, uh, wonderful chain of events uh, yeah. and i'm glad you brought up and i called him in my review i called him uncle kurt uh, which <laughs> which he didn't seem to remind i'm so glad you brought up kurt vonnegut absolutely so. i saw that i was like well that's that's happening 
All right. So now we're going to talk about another author, you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> tell us. Tell us about your new book. Well, uh, as the title suggests, I'm going to read it and make sure I get it right. Crows Excellent. and Ravens, Mystery, Myth, and Magic of Sacred Corvids. Uh, I probably, uh, well, I went to Ireland in 95. That's my roots, Irish and French. And at the Dublin post office uh, in the heart of Dublin is a statue of Cúhullan, the ancient uh, mythical Irish warrior. And he's dying and he's tied to this post. And perched on his shoulder or the post, I think it's his arm or shoulder, is a raven or a crow. Uh, scholars different of the ancient Irish tales, some identify as a raven or crow. I'm like, mm-hmm. what's this crow doing on the shoulder of this national Irish mythic hero? So that's really where it began my interest in crows. And then uh, living in in Daytona and, and Palm Coast, Florida, crows come to the backyard. So I just started reading the myths, the ancient Irish myths, um, uh, feeding the crows in my back backyard. Uh, I started taking photos of the crows and altering them with different digital programs. Mm-hmm. And by this time, I was on my pagan path. And so I'm seeing crows as sacred creatures, uh, nature, na- anything in nature is sacred. Right. So then I started, uh, I don't, I don't use Photoshop I, and AI didn't exist. I don't use AI, but I would take the photos and use different uh, digital programs to just make them trippy and psychedelic because mm-hmm. I was trying to express the magic of crows by creating, making them magical on, and then I would print these out on canvas. Anyway, started posting those on Facebook and Heather Green, who had been my editor at the Wild Hunt before she moved to Llewellyn, Mm -hmm. uh, she said, Rick, you should think about doing a book on crows. I said, okay, yeah, I like it. So uh, she said, send me a proposal. So that's how it started. Uh, And by this time, I had been uh, watching crows, taking photos of crows. People think I'm lying when I say I have 10,000 photos of crows. but I don't think you are. <laughs> well, thank, thank you. Thank you. And, uh, and I had studied them some and, and knew Hi. some. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, no, no worries. No worries. He uh, just got back from a ride, so he's very excited Oh, he's excited. <laughs> Yay. Yay. Uh, all animals are sacred anyway. Yes. Uh, so, uh, so Heather, that, that was in 2016, 2017. So that's how the book got started. Uh, and that led me into research. And again, every day the crows are showing up in my backyard. Uh, and I'm just, I, I think if, and this is in, in my book, uh, like the ancient Norse, uh, I'm kind of jumping ahead and back and around. But uh, readers will find out uh, if anybody knows of the ancient Norse myths that Odin has a raven on uh, each shoulder, mm-hmm. I think is where they're normally portrayed, Kujin mm-hmm. and Munin, mm-hmm. and their names translate to thought and memory. And that tells me, which I go into this in the book, that tells me that 
they were just very observant because if anybody spends time around crows, you're going to think two things. One, as a another writer in a crow book, uh, in, in a book on birding, she, she wrote, they always seem to be thinking. And I thought, I've had that same thought. You watch crow, you watch cardinals, they're doing this or the wrens, mm-hmm. but the crows, they're more deliberate. They're mm-hmm. just, they got this aura about them. So you think they're, they do have thought. And then we've learned it's been proven scientifically that they have memory. They remember mm-hmm. human faces. Uh, and I go into the science of Corvids uh, in, in the opening chapters of my book, because I think that's very important. Uh, it's not just uh, woo-woo. And I use the term woo-woo affectionately. It's not a disparaging term. It's okay. I uh, use it all the time, too. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, so for me, and then when I started research, it's like, oh, okay. Uh, it's very important to know the science uh, uh, of these birds, uh, which I, I give uh, just a, a primer on in the book, uh, because okay, it's it's not just one's exaggeration or imagination. These birds are magical. They they their behavior is uncanny and almost supernaturalistic, and there's reasons for that. There, uh, one biologist, John Marsliff, uh, he he's wrote, wrote two very important books on crows. Uh, he calls them feathered apes because their intelligence is so high. That's uh, interesting. So, uh, so it was, and then when I started researching this, it, literally in my backyard was my lab because that's where. Um, I noticed a, a crow hanging upside down on a tree. I was like, I, th- I thought I was, I saw it. I went for my camera and the crow flew away before I got my camera. Like, Bam. <laughs> and then not, like not two hours later, I'm like, did I hallucinate that? Did I imagine, <laughs> dream that? And then um, uh, years later, I read, came across another wonderful crow book, a very detailed observational book. And the author of that had witnessed the same. So I was like, okay, it wasn't just me. I didn't just make it up. Uh, just other crows' behaviors. Uh, one day I looked out of my window at my Palm Coast home, and there were like 20 crows uh, surrounding this crow on its back, and they were scolding it. It's like, what's going on? I don't know what that one bad crow did. And I, they didn't kill it. But they were just for about 20 minutes, they're just ca ca and this crow's on its back. So something was going on and, and just so much like that. So uh, my my and being a pagan, you know, I even with all this uh, unusual beyond quote unquote normal animal behavior hadn't been happening. Mm-hmm. They would have just been sacred to me because they're evidence of Gaia, the earth goddess. And right. then when all these uh, just through my observations started manifesting, it's like that intertwined with my pagan path. And um, and when I started writing the book, there's a chapter in my book on keeping a magical journal. Duh. Very basic. OK, mm-hmm. that's not a revelation, but. 
I'm not so sure a lot of my fellow pagans and Wiccans do that. And right. it, to me, the benefits of that are immense, immense. And so just the writing of this, of my book made me have to slow down, organize my thoughts, put it on paper. And it was almost like having a conversation with myself. And it yeah. made, it takes, it. you start reflecting on, okay, why do I believe this? What did I see? How did I see this? Uh, what's happening? And so obviously writing is my career. So obviously I believe in the efficacy of writing from a practical, pragmatic point. Mm -hmm. But magically uh, and spiritually, uh, it's, it's very, very, so writing the book, when I say it was a magical act, I, I don't mean that in a arrogant or esoterical way. Uh, I mean, not esoteric, arrogant or um, lofty way or whatever, mm -hmm. but literally, literally just mm -hmm. writing it. Uh, and it brought forth, um, I like to use the word conjure a lot, writing the book made me think, oh, so it made me see uh, Corvids, the crows in my case, it made me see them in a different way in that, okay, I'm concentrating on this. So I'm, I'm almost kind of, when I saw the crow hanging upside down and um, I just like, whoa. And it made me think of the hanged man in the, most classical tarot decks. It's like, yeah. whoa. And it was only later that I realized, whoa. I Not long after that, I had to move. I literally moved three miles down the road in Palm Coast. And it was only later that I thought, okay, so seeing the hanged crow mm -hmm. was an omen because when I had to move, that took a year out of writing this book. It's set back uh, just it sucked a, moving sucks a year out of your life in various ways. Mm -hmm. uh, so that delayed the book. Da, 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 da. And then only upon reflecting, it's like, wow. So that was an omen. Um, I don't know. Maybe I haven't answered your question. I'm right, dancing I'm, around here. I'm um, enjoying it. <laughs> um, so it's and that's uh, that's one of the the basic uh, key takeaways from my book is that crows uh, and to a lesser extent ravens, they are magical creatures, but they're right there. Mm -hmm. They're um, I, I just take it for granted, uh, but crows are very urban. I see crows when I go to the mm -hmm. Publix or Target shopping center yeah. I see more crows in my backyard and in town than when I go walking in the deep woods. Mm -hmm. um, so they are uh, accessible, if that's the right word, to virtually everybody. They're they're yeah. on every continent uh, except yeah. Antarctica. Mm -hmm. So and uh, and I, uh, I I mentioned just in passing. Uh, in the book that, you know, dolphins are, of course, we, we know dolphins are very intelligent 
and of course apes and and chimpanzees mm-hmm. but I, I live like 20 miles from marine land here in Florida, mm-hmm. but I've never been. And I go to the ocean. I've seen dolphins in the ocean just out, uh, mm-hmm. but I don't have any contact with them. Uh, and I'll, the only chimpanzees and gorillas I see are in a zoo. Right. But crows are right there for everybody. Yeah. Uh, you, you can form a... Uh, you can form a, a magical or even just a practical communion with them mm-hmm. because they're there. And they are, uh, as Marsliff, the wildlife biologist, he calls them feathered apes. They're right there. Yeah. And so um, if you just want to, if you're a curious bird watcher, they're going to provide you much entertainment. And if you're uh, on a pagan path like myself, uh, it's very easy. Uh, well, I shouldn't say easy. It's very accessible to um, seek communion with them if you so desire and incorporate them into one's pagan spirituality. And Absolutely. that's that's kind of what my book's about. Yeah, so. that's great. You know, this reminds me of, a, of a, just a silly little side story. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad used to take me to this um, wildlife refuge where all of the animals were um, injured in some way and unable to be released back into the wild so that they, then they were used as a uh, um, an education tool, right? And yeah. there was a, a raven there and he loved to play catch. Yes. <laughs> well, I... You could toss a little pebble in to his, yeah. his cage and he'd bring it back to you and toss it back out. It was so cute. Well, and that's that's been very documented among the wildlife biologists. Uh, crows and ravens have this very strong sense of play, mm-hmm. and and one of the chapters in my book uh, is uh, the Native Americans in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, raven is a trickster, mm-hmm. and he raven figures in a number of their myths and tales and legends. Mm-hmm. And uh, and again, just like the ancient Norse, uh, with their naming their own ravens, thought and memory, when mm-hmm. the Native Americans of the Pacific Northwest said, oh, raven's a trickster, that tells me that they were observing these birds and were very closely observing them. Yeah. And, and, I, and I have some magical exercises in, in the book about incorporating play and I, I relate it to crazy wis- the crazy wisdom of the Eastern religions. And when I was writing the book, I was like, I don't, is this too simple to put in? Mm-hmm. But I, I think for myself, and I can't speak for any others, but I think sometimes uh, I, I refer uh, often, one of my editors said, you refer to it too much, but... <laughs> Uh, another one of my favorite writers, Colin Wilson, you should Colin Wilson, uh, who who wrote a lot uh, on metaphysical and occult matters. It was his book, The Occult, that was also very formative in my early uh, pagan evolution. Uh, but I just thought, I don't know, is this but I think I think Colin Wilson talks about uh the robot mind, 
and that we humans too easy let our robot mind take over the steering wheel. Mm -hmm. And so the Eastern crazy wisdom uh, is uh, this tradition among uh, Buddhists and Zen tricksters and all that. And it's not just the Eastern uh, sages, but they just have ways to snap our mind out of this robot. And, uh, and I think that's very important. So in, in, one of the things I recommend in the Raven trickster part of the book is find a spot, lay on your back and look up. Oh, oh, thank you, Rick. That's really deep, magical wisdom. Well, when's the last time you did that? I did it as yeah. kids, but the last time I did it, uh, the first time I did it as an adult, it, it gives you a different perspective mm-hmm. and that's, that's what the purpose of that is. Um, and I thought, is this just too basic, silly to put in the book? But I thought, I think it's important, especially in the context of watching crows and ravens mm-hmm. play. And YouTube is filled with oh, yeah. all kinds of crazy videos of crows riding the windshield wipers of a car, <laughs> of sliding <laughs> down a snowy roof. Yes, I uh, love that one. The books on, on uh, crows, uh, John Marsliff and his uh, co-writer, Tony Angel, they talk about watching crows coming up and pulling on the tails of dogs just for the <laughs> heck of it, not because they want the dog's food. So I thought it was important to include this chapter of references to how these birds play. They literally play, and that sense of play and there's ways we humans can do it, except when we reach the age of 10 or 17 or 24 or 30, we're like, mm-hmm. no, that's for kids. But I think just having an element of that in our pagan practice uh, is going to be fruitful. So, yeah. So there, there's that. Good way to uh, to connect with your inner child, which it seems is a big Exactly. A big you know, and I... I don't know that I even use that phrase, uh, and it's certainly legitimate. Uh, but, but yes, uh, and um, as Colin Wilson would say, and I say, it's uh, crazy wisdom is a way just to quote unquote shock yourself out of normal consciousness. And and another uh, probably the leet motif, if I'm using that lofty word from some of my uh, entertainment and arts writing. One of the motifs of my book is that uh, to uh, we alter, A-L-T-E-R, alter our consciousness so that we can alter, A-L-T-A-R, our consciousness. Alter our consciousness so that we can alter our consciousness. And by that I mean... When we alter our consciousness and we get out of mundane reality, mm-hmm. things happen. Uh, weird things. And um, that's to me, and not just to me, but that is when we seem to have access uh, to the other realms, to the mystic realms, to altered consciousness, to God, goddess. We have to just somehow get outside of or suppress our mundane reality 
And once we do that, then we can see and access uh, all of these esoteric things that are real. There mm-hmm. are. I, I always laugh when somebody says from the rationalist viewpoint, oh, that's just your imagination. You're making that up. Whatever it is. I'm not even talking about pagan. But you know what? Imagination is real. Yeah. Scientists study imagination. Sociologists mm-hmm. study imagination. Uh, if you read about Einstein, if I think I recall correctly, some of his insights and the and the uh, uh, quantum physicists, their thought breakthroughs came when they were just playing, resting, uh, imagination. So imagination is real. It's just mm-hmm. not real right. in that upper uber rationalist sense where yeah. you can touch or feel it. Uh, yeah. So, and I, I think these crows and ravens are very much, very much a way to get us out of altered uh, everyday reality. And uh, for me, yes, you can use some of the hallucinogenic drugs, what they call the entheogens. Mm-hmm. But for me, ritual, drumming, music, sitar playing, uh, walking in the woods, solitude, sensory deprivation, uh, love making. Uh, there's so many ways to alter our consciousness and to, to, I don't know, to say to use that, that sounds kind of degrading, uh, maybe. Uh, but anyway, those are channels or paths mm-hmm. to get into this altered state. And when you do that, who knows what's going to come through? Uh, right. And for me, what does come through is very worthwhile. And that's, for me, it's communion to uh, God and goddess uh, divinity. So, all right, I'm, yeah. I'm going to get down off my soapbox there. No, that's, you're, you're fine. We're here for your soapbox, so it's good. <laughs> <laughs> this is when you get to have it. <laughs> um, so since we're talking a little bit about altars, altering the mind for altering the mind, um, do you have an altar, like a physical altar in your home? I do. I do. And uh, now, as soon as you ask that, I'm trying to trying to think of how long I've had it. Uh, I'm not sure. Anyway, but crows, uh, uh, I actually have a, a painting, oh, well, image that I created with uh, uh, Mr. Crow art uh, that I call uh, Mr. Crow eavesdrops on the witch's Sabbath. Oh, uh, yeah, that sounds um, amazing. You know, if you go if you go to my website, mrcrowart.com, Mr. is spelled out. Uh, I believe that's on my website, but that's mm-hmm. above my altar. And there's various crow uh, stuff on my altar. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Kernunos. Kernunos is my deity. Mm-hmm. Uh and Gaia is my goddess. Uh, and I know Gaia is has Greek origins and Kernunos is ancient Celt. But no that's one of the things. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, there's, uh, when I went to Ireland, um, very interesting uh, to me uh, uh, happening. Anyway, I went to Ireland in 95 
and again in 2005. And there is an Ireland, Ireland, there's a mountain in the west of Ireland called Notnaray. And that's where uh, legend says that Maeve, M-A-E-V-E is the anglicized spelling, that she is buried at the top of this. So uh, the local signage there says you should take a stone up because there's a burial cairn at top, a pile, oh, cool. huge pile of rocks on this flat-topped Mesolite mountain. And it says you should take a stone up, but it's bad luck to take a stone down. Well, I got up there and I felt called to take mm-hmm. a stone. Oh, that's interesting. And, yeah. And so it's just a small one. And I said, mm-hmm. I felt not intimidated or I, it just felt right. And I brought the stone and it's on my altar along with some other stones uh, from Ireland. And, you know, in, in my book, I have uh, a whole section on the Celtic myths mm-hmm. of, of the Morgan, who she shapeshifts, the, the Irish battle goddess. Mm-hmm. She shapeshifts into raven or crow. Yeah. Uh, the crows figure very much into the heritage of my ancestors. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, I brought the stone back, put it on my altar. Uh, it's been there for 15 years. And then my uh, girlfriend, Michelle Davidson, uh, she's a psychic intuitive. So one of the earlier times uh, she was over at my house, she wanted to practice her psychometry. Mm-hmm. So she said, give me an object. I want to see what I can sense about it. So I gave her the stone from my altar. And as soon as she felt it, she said, Rick, you've got to take this back. She said, <laughs> It's from overseas, and you've got to take it back. And then I told her the story behind it. I said, well, it's from the top of Notnaray, uh, mm-hmm. where legend says Queen Maeve is buried under this stone mound. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I said, I've never felt any negative vibes from it. And, and so anyway, Michelle intuited this. And uh, so uh, we do hope to go to Ireland uh, someday together and i am going to take she said the stone at the very least wants to return home mm-hmm. and visit its home yeah and uh so I, I just thought it was very interesting that she picked up she said it's from overseas and you're not <laughs> it wants to go back wants so to go uh, home, yeah so uh but that's interesting um, that it, I mean, it, it called to you. So that's, I mean, clearly right. it needed to be with you for something. It, it, you know? Exactly. And, uh, and from my readings of Maeve, uh, a lot of times she's seen, uh, and the myths aren't exactly clear whether she is historically, uh, uh, was a real, uh, you know, historical person. Mm-hmm. Uh, or even if she's a god, she's not really perceived as a god or goddess like the Morgan. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I felt a strong calling to her, and which mm-hmm. I gather is kind of rare because most of the readings I've read, she was a legendary seducer of men or mm-hmm. sexual appetite, da 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 da. And I've just I felt this kinship. For well, whatever maybe, you it's have, worth. maybe you have the little folk in your in your history. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Could yeah. be. Could be. So. Yeah. Uh, uh, Interesting. Maeve. 
you hear some really scary stories about Miss Maeve. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, yeah, I think her name means she who intoxicates. Ah. Uh, if, if I've seen uh, some of the uh, some of the translations, that's uh, what my name means too. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it does now. We can we we can start. We can plant that, and it, maybe it'll go viral. So <laughs> that's funny. My name is actually from a, a Terry Brooks novel. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, that's a good source. That's a good source. Uh, my dad uh, named me after after his favorite elf. <laughs> nice. I like that origin story. I like good. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. <laughs> well, so <laughs> that's hilarious. If you can meet any witch or cult practitioner in history, would it be Maeve? <laughs> Who would it be? Wow. Uh, okay. Here's how I'm going to answer that. This is the first thought. Uh, one, I, I'm in a relationship. Uh, I've been blessed. Uh, uh, Michelle and I have been together three and a half years. Uh, and um, my first wife, Cheryl, she uh, she passed away uh, with breast cancer after 23 years together. So that uh, I, we were blessed to be together that long. And then didn't expect love to come again. And here comes Michelle. And she's very much, she's a psychic intuitive witch. She wrote the book, Florida's Haunted Hospitality. She went and stayed at uh, B&Bs around the state and wrote about her experiences encountering the spirits. Anytime Mm -hmm. we go anywhere, she wants to stay at whatever is the most haunted place. (laughs) And I'm always like, yikes. So anyway, all that is to say, if... Uh, I wouldn't, if we met Maeve, I, I would want Michelle to know, it's like, look, I'm not going to seduce her, but things with Maeve can get very dicey yeah. on the intimacy <laughs> front. She she was, legend says she would have up to five men a day and she had her pick of them. So just letting you know, Michelle, uh, <laughs> that this was on Amberly that said, Rick, you should go meet Maeve. Uh, Sorry, Michelle. <laughs> But uh, what I have thought, I would I would welcome and I've thought about Michelle and I play a lot of uh, play. Well, we do a lot of mystical, metaphysical kind of games with us uh, Mm -hmm. just back and forth, lighthearted, but serious. But in one of those, uh, I think she had asked a similar question. I would love to go back in time and see the creation of the Gundestrop, if I'm even saying that correctly, the Gundestrop cauldron, which uh, I think is traced back anywhere from 300 BCE to 300 Common Era. It's it's a, about 2,000 years old, if I'm remembering. I would love to see the creator of that, creating mm-hmm. that object. And I wish I would know what was going. And there's all these Celtic Gaulish images on the mm-hmm. cauldron. Mm-hmm. And from what I've read, there's uh, there's not a lot of history, written history of Kernunos. Right. And this cauldron was ritually dismantled and buried in a peat bog in Denmark mm-hmm. uh, is where they found it. 
But if you look in the history books, uh, it was cut into different plates. So it's not just a Carnunos. There's all these animals and other, uh, you know, mystical scenes. But I wish I could find out, uh, just observe the creator and get into the creator's mind Mm -hmm. of what was going on. Because that's what initiated my pagan path. Why did they say, oh, okay, I'm going to draw a human sitting in a mm-hmm. Buddha pose and he's going to have antlers coming out. And of right. course, he's he's considered a lord of the animals. Right. Uh, but there's just not a lot of written record about it. So. Um, so last week, I published an episode with Rhonda McCrimmon, who is a um, Celtic shaman. And we touched a little bit on that, but her new book that just came out, which I, for some reason, is not in front of me. Anyway, it's called The Cauldron and the Drum, and that's a, it does touch on that subject as well. Oh, I will, that just came up in my Amazon recommendations, Mm -hmm. and I just kind of, I thank you for, for bringing that up. I will, I will delve deep, deeper into it, because I, I was just kind of like breezing doing my mm-hmm. daily Amazon breeze, like what's here, what's here. And I thought, like, Ooh, saw it. Yeah. Just kind of like, okay, I'll come back to it. So yeah. Well, and her I'll... episode was super fun too, because she's Scottish. So, you know, listening oh. to her is wonderful. But... Okay. Oh yes. <laughs> yeah. She was well, a delight. Why didn't you tell me that earlier last? I'd be putting on me fake <laughs> Irish Celtic accent, which is probably makes my, my ancestors just curl the toes off. <laughs> And stick them in the river Liffey and want to drink 10 pints of Guinness. Uh, so anyway, That's enough funny. of that. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, definitely pick up that book because it's, it's, yeah. it's a good one. And she's, she has actually online, a, 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 it's the center for shamanism, I think. So okay. it talks about it as well. Um, Great. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Super fun. Um, Super fun interview was great to do. And uh, yeah. So do you have a spell ritual or recipe that you would like to share today? I, I do. I am. Well, thank you for asking about that. And this uh, I, I write about this in depth in, in my book, but what I like to do is what I call letting the crows shuffle my tarot deck and nice. it, it can work in any number of ways. Uh, but if, if I wake up and feel I'm going to do a tarot reading, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes the crows will initiate it. But if I, sometimes it's, if I hear the first crow sounds, I hear if it's, and usually in the mornings here in Palm Coast, Florida, I'll hear three calls. Ka, ka, ka. And so I think that's their morning call. Uh, so if I hear three or five calls, or if I just decide whatever the first crow visit, like say five crows come to my backyard, mm-hmm. that's how I will shuffle my tarot deck, just normal shuffle. And then mm-hmm. when I'm using the spread, I will count down every fifth card. So if I'm using, I, I rarely use the Celtic crawl spread, but mm-hmm. this just say for simplicity, I'm using a basic three card uh, left to right. I'll Mm -hmm. count down five cards and the fifth card goes up on the left. Mm -hmm. 
then I'll count down five more and put that card in the center and count down five more and put that card. And even if I was using the Celtic cross or in my book, I have a crow tarot spread uh, Mm -hmm. that I designed and created and have had good results. Uh, And if you run out of cards, I'll just recycle them again. But for Mm -hmm. me, and the reason that I do that and why it's in the book is um, the ancient uh, Celts would use crow sounds and number of crows in their divination. I discovered in this, I touch upon this in the book, the ancient Tibetans had a very detailed uh, Byzantine divination system where if they heard five crows calling from the east, it meant a king is coming. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the kind of... so. And then the ancient Norse uh, had their raven banners that they would carry into battle. And depending on how the banner was wavering, that would foretell success or defeat in battle. Uh, And I never could figure out why the times when the raven banner was not fluttering, why didn't they turn around and go home? But they Mm -hmm. would still go into battle. So anyway, there's this tradition's of ravens and crows figuring into divination. And I wanted to, and do, uh, tap into that in using these birds as in a div- divinatory yeah. way. And for me, that's uh, right there in my backyard. So that's mm-hmm. my way. And in the book, I go into more detailed and, and I have the, the, the my crow tarot spread just came, had the most base origin. And mm-hmm. that is, I thought, what's a crow spread? What if I created a spread in the shape of a flying crow? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, that's kind of silly. And oh, it'll be cutesy. And then when I started working with it, uh-huh. I I love the Crowley Thoth uh, uh, Tarot, if, the um, spread that comes recommended in the Little White Book. It's mm-hmm. three, 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 three. But as it says, whoever wrote the little white book, I don't think it was Crowley himself. I, mm-hmm. I know it wasn't. But it makes use of all these relationships between the cards. It doesn't use upside down mm-hmm. uh, reverse meanings, but it uses these. And when I was uh, creating this crow tarot spread, uh, I just thought, I'm what would the cards look like if you made it look like a flying crow ascending? And then I started looking at the pattern. It's like, wow. So these cards on this side, and anyway, it really makes use of these different relationships. It might be a little too complicated for a novice, but I don't think so. Um, so that's in the book. And when I started using that spread, it's like, I don't know why I was surprised, but I've never had the cards lie. Every, every yeah, time I th- think awesome. the cards have been off and not just with my crow tarot spread, mm-hmm. uh, but it sometimes months later, it's like, oh, I remember that reading that I thought was just totally wacko off. Mm-hmm. Then suddenly it manifests. So anyway, but back to the crows, if I 
if I hear the last time I did it, I saw five crows Mm -hmm. in the backyard and I saw the crows and I said, I don't see five. Mostly it's four or less. So I thought that's an omen. I'm going to do just a three card spread. Uh, And the most I've ever seen in my backyard here is nine. So that was a definite like, okay, I'm going to just spontaneously do a reading because nine crows showed up. That's happened once in the three years I've been here. Uh, So anyway, I hope that answered the question. And, uh, and, and I go into more details and this in the book, but uh, it, it, of course that, that whole approach can just be adapted however Mm -hmm. one intuits it. Yeah. You know, uh, the seven cedar wax wings that dropped from the sky, you know? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. And you were, you know, you mentioned that, um, the, uh, that crows have been used in divination and there's, I don't know if you've ever heard that nursery rhyme where they're talking about the different numbers of crows and what they, yeah. 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 I, uh, uh, geez, you know, I, I, I referenced that in passing in the book and there's different versions Mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Um, and, but yeah, it, there's so there's um, and I, I I think the origin of that is the British Isles, but maybe it was American. Um, and yeah, I guess uh, here it says it's actually magpies, but they are a corvid as well, so that's okay. Right? Ex- yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I've I've heard of it as crows and ravens yeah, too. Yeah. And and uh, while we're you know that makes me think because I think there's one or two lines in there that are pretty dire prophecies. Uh-huh. And. Um, and I and I don't shy away from that in my book. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a dark side to corvids. Uh, when I was writing the book, <laughs> most people were like, "Oh, I'm fascinated by crows and raven. I can't wait." Da 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 da. But yeah. there were some people who was like, "Whoa, I'm kind of spooked by crows mm-hmm. and ravens." And there's there's the long history of that. And yeah. uh, that's historical base because mm-hmm. in the ancient battlefields, it's been documented that crows and ravens, they're omnivores. Yeah. They'll eat anything, including mm-hmm. corpses. So they, through their intelligence, they learned to follow the ancient armies. And because they knew once a battle, they were going to feast. And yeah. There's all these different names that are used in the ancient uh, Viking myths and legends. Jeez, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, they're they're in the book, and now I'm drawing a blank. But uh, uh, that they would give warriors, it's like, oh, he's a raven feeder, meaning right. that he would slay others, and the ravens would feed on the corpses, that kind of thing. So I, I do I do write about uh, you know that dark side which to me um that's a part of uh of life of my pagan path um you know dark to me is not a i i almost want to put that word in quotes uh because that's you know we can go disney and lion king the circle of life but i think there's (laughs) there's just truth to that and yeah uh, for sure 
And uh, so, I think it's um, also as pagans, like uh, the thought of the dark side of thing isn't as scary as as it would be if we didn't have the the beliefs that we did. In my opinion, yeah. Um, you know, it I, is I, the circle of life. Yeah, I I, I I I totally agree. And uh, uh, and if you look at uh, some of the, I mean, Odin hung himself, you know, upside down to gain knowledge, uh, and uh, yeah. and, and just gave away his eyeball. And, exactly, <laughs> exactly. He sacrificed, and uh, there there's some Raven trickster tales. <laughs> where, where uh, Raven is not a very nice guy sometimes, mm-hmm. and uh, there's one uh, tale, and I think it's in my book. I'm pretty sure. I did so much research. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I I should probably write a volume two and three. Uh, but there's a tale where, what's that? <laughs> I said, I'm for here it. for it. Let's okay, do it. <laughs> all right. Uh, but there's one tale where he meets some bears or a bear and some other creature and he tricks them to get their food and he ends up turning the bear inside out by grabbing its anus, I think is the word that's used and turns the bear inside out and the bear does not magically revive. So he's not, he was not a nice guy, but a lot of times Raven is kind of, not so much bungling, but in his in his lust uh, for food and mm-hmm. human women, he ends up uh, helping mankind as much as he harms mankind, just because he's kind of a bungling trickster. So he he brings all these benefits to humankind as he's trying to fulfill himself. So. <laughs> I would hang out with Raven. I'm just saying. Yeah. So <laughs> I think you'd be pretty, pretty fun to party with. I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Well, so I'm so excited. You brought this up earlier um, when we when we were chit chatting over uh, email. Yeah. That uh, we should each pull a card from our yeah. respective decks and compare them. Yes. So. Which deck now, are you using today? Well, I, I kind of, uh, I, I've got Crow Tarot by MJ Cullinane. Uh, if I'm pronoun- I actually interviewed her when I worked at the Wild Hunt. And then I she also, her. yeah, and she also did an Oracle deck. Good for you. you you've I got have them both. Perfect. <laughs> and then the, the third one that I have is, I don't know if you've seen this one. Uh, no, I haven't. I'm writing that down immediately. Murder of Crows Tarot and uh, by can you see that? I can, yeah. Uh, Corrado R O I, and I was very lucky, like, uh, to get a limited edition deck. Uh, the original deck was totally in black and white, and then they did a limited edition deck that had red. Uh, emphasized in the art and my understanding they build that as a one-time pressing of uh, and so my version of that deck is black and white with red uh, accents and it's oh, it's cool. a it's the it's the darkest tarot deck 
I have. Uh, and frankly, I have not used, I've used it just to explore. I have not done any readings with it. Not, not that I'm afraid to, but I'm still just getting to know this. I guess it's been out two or three years. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. So those are the three crow decks. Uh, I, I love the Oracle deck because it's just, I'm, I'm, I'm going to choose the Oracle deck. Okay. Me too, because actually, because I like it. <laughs> yeah. I like it too. And it's just boom. It's right there. Uh, when I do reading, I'm sure I, I mostly read for myself, rarely for somebody else, but I do a reading or even when I do a three card or one card pull, uh, I'll want to just sit and analyze it for hours and then mm-hmm. come back the next day. It's like, oh, but I think the Oracle deck will just be boom. You yeah. know, it'll, so I'm, should we go ahead and pick a card? Yeah, I actually had one jump out at me. So it okay. shows itself. <laughs> okay. Yes, they do. All right. I'm going to, I, I picked my card. <laughs> oh, I got, I don't know if you can see that. Freedom. Freedom. That's awesome. I got caching. Oh, caching. That's that's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, cash, I, I'll just tell you, um, you know, e- every day I'm blessed that the crows come. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know where they roost. Um, but I put tortilla chips, saltine crackers, or popcorn. And uh, it's very interesting to see them uh now more do it but uh five or six years ago when i was watching crows there was one crow that would pick up a five four five or six crackers in its mouth at one time i named him mr piggy um and now i see more (laughs) crows do it and and then i realized oh they they are cashing it or they're taking it back to their nest Mm -hmm. uh or maybe as uh, uh people have told me it's like oh maybe they're female crows or male crows and they're feeding their family. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> caching, uh, that's it's a very practical aspect that I've observed, but spiritually, mm-hmm. you know, I think it, that's, there's a spiritual dimension to that of um, caching some of your spiritual energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, just um, I, I'm pretty much a live for today person. Uh, <laughs> Alan Watts talks about, uh, you know, one of my favorite writer thinkers, he talks about um, the eternal now in mm-hmm. uh, OW. And I think there's deep wisdom in that. And I, I don't think that thought or line of thought is original with him. And my late wife, Cheryl and I would talk about that when she was battling breast cancer and, uh, uh, we would talk about living in the eternal now. Yeah. And so, uh, so there's definitely worthiness in that, but also it's, it's good to, to cash and, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know, let me hear some of your thoughts on, on caching. So caching, um, I, I do think it's important to save, uh, and I have a savings account, but I think for me, caching is more, um, of an emotional situation for me. Like I, I think it's important to, to cash as many memories as I possibly can 
uh, especially with my kids because they're both teenagers now and they're, they're going to be gone soon, you know? So for me, caching is the importance of it to me, to me right now is, uh, collecting memories. Um, well, that, that very much relates, which you may know, there's a famous passage, um, in the Norse tales where Odin is reminiscing, uh, and I, I should know the name of of the the ancient text, uh, the, but um, is it the Havamal? I think yes, I'm probably yes, prob- I may be mispronouncing yes. it. And and Od, it's Odin reflecting about his ravens, huge in the mm-hmm. moon, and he said mm-hmm. they've gone to fly away. I fear that thought may not return, but I fear more, even more, that memory may not return. Yeah, and when I read that, I was like, and that's not Norse heathen yeah. is not my path, mm-hmm. but I really related to that. And, and uh, I, I keep saying that's in the book. That's in, but that passage is in the book. Mm-hmm. And so ev- even the ancient Norse were aware. And, and of course, other cultures, the importance of memory and what it means, uh, you know, just to us as, as humans. And it's really, it's, it's, it is kind of scary to, uh, yeah. to think uh, that memories uh, can dissipate our, um, um, I'm, uh, I come from a family of, of photos. Uh, and after my wife, Cheryl passed away, I was so grateful that I had so many photos of her and us, you know, those palpable memories. And then also after Cheryl uh, crossed over, um, there were, I, I can't say I found, but there were like 20 disposable cameras around the house that we had taken the photos and we had never gotten them developed. We just took them, you know, special events and set it aside and it was a month or two after she had crossed over in April of 2015. And I just thought, wow. So I started getting them developed once every month. And it was like, I, I called them new old memories. Yeah. Some of them, I remembered the time and setting and location Mm-hmm. Of when we took, you know, family birthdays or Thanksgiving, some just whatever. And uh, and it was just such a treasure. Here were new what I again, what I call new old memories. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's so wonderful. It was such a blessing. And I had friends say, why don't you take how can you do them every month? Why don't you get them all developed at once? And I said, no, I want to take my time. Yeah. And so over the course of a year um, and and I got a little misty eyed after I took the last one because it was literally film. It wasn't digital. And uh, but it was a blessing. It was a blessing. So. uh, So, yay. I I think Moonen is he's the one whose name means memory. So, Mm -hmm. yay. The that those ravens knew what they. Yeah. So, that's such a beautiful story though and i'm glad that you did it a little over time that's the way i would have chosen yeah. to do it too because it, it it stretches it stretches it out a little bit yeah 
Now, uh, my card, Freedom, of course, I, am I holding, let's see there. Yep. And I, I look at that and I see it's five crows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, and I can't, is that a, I shouldn't know this better. Is that a heart or what is he, he carrying up? I'm not mm-hmm. sure. But anyway, freedom, I mean, yeah, yeah, of course, freedom's a good thing. But uh, this seems to be the the one flying crow. And frankly, do you have any ideas what the red is? I'm wondering if that's a heart. I think it is a heart. I'm trying to find it so that I can uh, put on my reading glasses. (laughs) Look at it. (laughs) Uh, But I think it is a heart, if I remember correctly. But, of course, freedom is a big, big word that can be very generic. But mm-hmm. just looking at the card and that there's one crow um, leaving for others just reminds me that, yes, there's, there is, uh, there, there can be great benefits not always hanging with the herd. Yes. Or the tribe, yeah. Or the tribe. Uh, so that's my my just gut takeaway from that card, uh, which mm-hmm. she dubbed freedom. I, I think that same image could probably have any number of other um, labels or interpretations. Yeah, um, for sure. Um, it looks like they're actually flowers, but they're kind of in a shape. He's holding a, a, yeah, he's holding a bunch of flowers. Oh, okay. Now I, my, I broke my glasses, so I had to tape them together and I've got new glasses <laughs> coming in four or five days. So I hope uh, I'll, I'll be able to see it better then. So flowers, that, that's yeah. even, even more interesting. Yeah. So. He's holding a bunch of flowers in his, and you can see the little stems in his, uh, in his okay. claws. So I think okay. it's interesting that we have the caching along along with the freedom. Um, I would I would interpret that as uh, saving does allow for more freedom. Yes, yeah, I, I could. I yeah, drawing that connection mm-hmm. between the cards. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Um, um, and more. Uh, absolutely that and uh you know and and caching is like well okay you're delaying or forgoing something because you're saving it for later so Mm -hmm. there's that lesson of uh we don't always have to immediately uh feed and fuel our uh immediate desires because if we can temper that we will have more freedom down the road and be grateful mm-hmm. that, Oh, okay. I didn't do this then. Now I have more options now. Yeah. So, so I actually, uh, I feel like this joint reading is for me. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this is my year of getting my, my spending under control. Cause I like to buy stuff. You know, I'm a, I'm a Taurus. I like, I like the the shiny things and I love, you know, luxury, Um, (laughs) but I need to like also save because I'm getting up there in age at some point I'm going to retire, you know, 
and I, I need a little bit more than just my, my pension. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, words of wisdom. Words of yeah. wisdom there. Words so of that's wisdom. my, that's what I'm working on this year is getting, um, I'm, I'm working on being an adult. <laughs> You're adulting. <laughs> I'm adulting at, at finally, uh, now that. <laughs> Welcome now to that the I'm club. Well into <laughs> middle age. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I, I have no doubt that uh, you will never f- uh, forfeit or forgo your sense of play and joy. Uh, just getting to know you during this interview is uh, <clears throat> life. Life is too short to take serious all the That's time. Absolutely. Yeah. All Absolutely. the time. For sure. I, uh, I definitely believe that. I love that we have the same deck. I was wondering if that's, if, if you had these decks. Yes. And, and my girlfriend has, uh, Michelle, she has, I think it's out of print. She has a, a Raven deck that she had bought years ago before we ever met. Uh-huh. And, uh, I hope she's not watching because I mean, we, we have not combined households yet, but that seems imminent. And uh-huh. if not, I'm going to steal her Raven deck. <laughs> and I'm going to blame it on Raven the Trickster because it's something Raven the Trickster would do. So I, it's, a, it's a spiritual thing that I'm going to commandeer her deck. How's that for some bullshit? <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> and awesome. when she sees this, she'll be like, okay. I'm locking it up. So, but maybe she'll say, "Oh, you can have it." Wow, what a concept that I should just ask her. My ask my beloved uh, uh, for the deck, or but yeah. it, it'll be shared property regardless. And That's I, right. See, I, I Raven has made. I, I blame Raven. He's <laughs> he's tricked me into. Uh, it, it, I, I relate a, uh, a raven tale, several raven tales in the book. And in one of them, he's tricking some humans and he's able to make his poop and his piss talk oh, well, from behind nice. bushes. Yeah, that's that's his superpower. He's, <laughs> what, a, he, what a useless superpower. <laughs> well, he, it works for him. Oh, it works for him. I just thought that's so strange. That anyway, that's Raven. That's so funny. <laughs> that is Raven. <laughs> that's so funny. I love uh, it. Oh goodness! Well, I feel like I, sh- I should have uh, Michelle on here. <laughs> well, I, I if, let me know, and uh, her uh, she's a psychic, intuitive. She she calls uh, self identifies as a chaos witch. Uh, she okay. she wrote the book Florida's Haunted Hospitality uh, about her experiences, and uh, she's amazed me. She's take and I dedicate my book to her because she has certainly uh, taken me deeper into spirit and magic. That's uh, awesome. And uh, she's uh, we uh, we spent this past weekend at some Native American mounds in uh, the Panhandle of Florida. Um, and that, so that was a very, that's a very sacred place, especially for yeah. her, but for me too. 
So, uh, so yeah, um, if you're serious or yeah, for yeah, sure, I'll, I'll shoot I'll, you an email. Okay, I'll, I'll bring it up that. to her. I will bring it up to her. So my my dog is like, mom, pay attention. I don't know. No, that's see. that's give give that give that doggy some love. Yeah, <laughs> and he's very slobbery, so he's just slobbering all over. Uh, he's just giving you some love. Yeah, <laughs> um, he's just been sitting behind me whining for like the past. 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was a really fun conversation. Well, thank you, Amberly. I, I, I've enjoyed it. Um, uh, yeah. I, uh, how often do, oh, well, you, you do this. This is part of your spiritual path doing this, but uh, when I worked for the Wild Hunt, I loved being able to interview fellow pagans mm-hmm. and witches, especially yeah. those on the creative side. And when I gave that up, it was just because in freelance world, I, I had to devote my time to some bigger paying gigs. It was right. a practical decision. But I, I wish I could do more of that uh, just from a practical side. And that's one of the benefits. Uh, I'm going to be appearing uh, at the Florida Pagan Gathering in late mm-hmm. April. I'll be giving a crow workshop there talking about my book. Uh, uh, their website is not up to date. Uh, it's flapagan.org. Uh, it's not up to date, but their Facebook page is. So that has the details on, and that's going to be held uh here in uh, Central Florida, the, the gathering. So I'll be doing okay. appearing there and cool. talking about crows and ravens and the book, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, it's it's and it's a chance to have communion with mm-hmm. other members of our tribe, and that's very important, I think. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Just absolutely. to have that, and, and this, I, I'm so grateful. Uh, since the book, uh, uh, you know, is about the, it comes out on March 8th mm-hmm. and, uh, the folks at Llewellyn have been very good about, uh, arranging interviews and say, do you want to mm-hmm. talk to this? Do you want to talk to this person? Interview. Yeah. Da, da, I was like, yeah, yeah. Cause yeah. What, what an opportunity. Uh, For sure. and I've been talking with some friends, uh, some other friends, who run the Phoenix festivals here in Florida and mm-hmm. they're on hiatus. Uh, but we've, and they're, they're going to be coming back in the fall with the Phoenix festival. But we've, I've had some very interesting conversations with forging community among, I keep using the word tribe, um, how that happens face to face. And now we're, we're blessed with this thing called the internet. Yeah. where we can do have this kind of communion. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it can happen in any and all, and even a book, you know, I yeah. read the poems of Yeats. That's a message from Yeats. He wrote those in Shakespeare yeah. and the, the ancient Hebrew text. Um, uh, I bring that up because there's some hilarious crow stories in the ancient Hebrew <laughs> text. Uh, the, the, uh, Crow is lusting after Noah's wife. Anyway, oh. it's just wow. very funny and bizarre. I thought, <laughs> is, did somebody make this up? Anyway, 
I'm I'm awesome. rambling now. I'm sorry. I Just tell it. me to tell me to be quiet. No, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> um, so you're going to be at the uh, Florida Pagan Gathering coming up soon. Yes. Uh, do you think you're going to be coming up to any of the gatherings farther north? Well, uh, Michelle and I are thinking about hoping, and we don't know that it's going to happen. Uh, Mystic South is happening in Atlanta. Yeah. I think that's in July. Uh, we would love to do that. Uh, again, I don't know that that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about uh, wanting to get out of Florida. So mm-hmm. nothing is definite. The desire is definitely there. Uh, we have friends who go to Pagan Spirit Gathering, which I think is happening in Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, yep, that's in Missouri. this year. Uh, so we want to get out of our Florida confines, but right. nothing is, is definite yet. I understand. So. Um, in the weekend after Labor Day, in just outside of Philly, is Anahata's Purpose. which is a really wonderful um, gathering. And actually it's the reason that I do this now. Um, It's, it's a really wonderful. uh, It's like four days of just awesome music and learning. Wow. Well, and and Michelle and I have talked about that. We want to uh, um, do, and we, we have performed at pagan gatherings here in Florida Mm -hmm. As a duo, uh, our wandering spiral, uh, shameless self promotion. If you go to wandering, W A N D E R I N G spiral.com, all one word, wandering spiral.com, uh, that's our website. That's our music website. There's uh, videos there and da 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 da. But, but that's very much a part of my pag- our, our pagan practice mm-hmm. is, is music making. Uh, and I and I do workshops, and I'm going to be doing a workshop at the Florida Pagan Gathering, along with a work, crow workshop. I'm going to be doing one on sacred music, how cultures have used music to uh, alter consciousness and access the, the divine. So Native American drumming, uh, uh, Hindu chant, uh, all that's going to be a part of that workshop. That sounds uh, great. So, uh, so yeah, when you say music at pagan gatherings, that that always makes my ears go, "Whoa, yes, yay!" Well, I will so. I will send you the information on that for sure. Great, perfect, um, because it's a really wonderful event, and uh, one of my favorite people runs yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thank you for the for the heads up. I will look Absolutely. forward to to getting info on that. Definitely. Absolutely, and I. Uh, I have a feeling I might I might need to have you back on. Well, I I would <laughs> welcome that. I absolutely would. Uh, uh, in my career as a journalist, of course, I interviewed you know hundreds and hundreds or thousands of people, mm-hmm. and I remember in in Daytona in the nineties when it was a spring break hot hotbed, I would get calls from other journalists. Uh, saying, oh, can you tell us about what's going on with spring break and MTV? And I'd be like, blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. And then halfway through the phone interview, I'd be like, wait a minute. He's interviewing me for a story. And then I would be like, funny talk backwards, not uh, interview me. <laughs> ah, ah. So, but I think I've gotten better over the years at being on the other side 
yeah. of the interview process. Yeah, and especially if, if it's about pagan matters. Uh, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's communion and it's sharing. So that's, that's always welcome. Always yeah, well, welcome. I'm, so yeah, I'm let so me know. I'm so glad that let you me. came and, and joined me. Um, you know, uh, person, name, person, uh, Marcus. Marcus yes, at Marcus, Llewellyn. <laughs> Marcus at Llewellyn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, he does a pretty good job of giving me uh, people he thinks that I will enjoy to interview and that, that makes sense for me. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and he's, yeah. Uh, uh, I, for lack of a better word, I've just been very impressed with what he has done uh, in helping me, you know, get the word out about mm-hmm. my book and Cat uh, Neff is the other publicist and mm-hmm. she's been a big boon in help. And uh, so it, it's been just a, a joy uh, to be part of that uh, process or team or whatever. They, they make yeah. it very easy. So I didn't have to come knock on your door. And I mean, they, they're right. doing that. You know, yeah. I'm so used to being a, one person show uh, mm-hmm. all these years for my sitar gigs uh, and uh, and all that. So uh, yeah. I'm glad there's this network and this, you know, again, I use the word tribe. Uh, just yeah. it's, it's part of our, part of our family, our tribe. And yeah. And it's just very natural for these things to happen. So yeah. 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 Well, cool. Well, thanks again. Um, Thank you. And I can't wait to meet Michelle because she sounds wonderful. <laughs> yes, yes. I I hope that happens. I yeah. I think yeah. she would be very well, good. We'll at... have we'll definitely keep keep in touch. And um, I'm going to stop the recording. But if you could hang on just for a little sure. bit, because after we stop, we got to make sure that everything uploads. Sure. Before sure. yeah. So but thanks again for sure. Um, Thank you. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at The Hearth and Hedge, on my website, thehearthandhedge.com, or you can email me at thehearthandhedge at gmail.com. I also have a Patreon that can be found at patreon.com slash thehearthandhedge. If you like what you hear, consider leaving a review wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you.